0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 243rd episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that still stands, as should we all, with the movement to end racial injustice and defund police services in favor of more effective options. We also like fair and free elections, so definitely get out there and vote this fall, especially if you're in the US of A mtg fast finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of magic the gathering finance collection management and speculation i'm your host james chilcott aka at mtg critic on twitter my co-host this week is travis allen aka at wizard bumpin on twitter and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game magic the gathering
1: good evening everybody glad to be here and looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you Our show is produced by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG Finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by
0: some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering, singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com. To save five percent off your order and support this podcast, Travis. Before we get to the agenda for the week, which I, I imagine will come as no great surprise to our listeners, um, let me tell you about the sports card industry for a moment. Uh, do you have any? Do you have any experience in this sphere? Well, I know there's that one baseball
1: card where the dude wrote a dirty word on the bottom of somebody else's bat, and that
0: became uh, pretty popular. <laughs> Beyond <laughs> that, I don't know much. So you're aware that the Pokemon uh, collectible scene has blown up massively this year, yes? Yeah, even just like the last mm-hmm. two weeks, really, right? It's been Yeah, so like d- during this period of COVID, Magic did surprisingly well, much better than we expected as this whole thing kicked off. Pokemon has done even more uh, gangbusters, ridiculous returns for speculators especially in the graded card community but really at this point the wildfire is spreading so fast that it's just kind of pokemon in general you have pokemon products that are on a whose reprint window is left open for years you know magic basically sets are in print for about a year and really realistically most of that print run is front loaded in the first three to six months um pokemon seems to be willing to reprint stuff like three to four years after it's initially printed and so these gaps do appear, especially in a hot period like right now, where the market is um, so rabid for brand new uh, product. Especially if it has a fancy Charizard, who's kind of like the Black Lotus uh, of the Pokemon world. Um, and there are fancy new Charizards that are being put in, you know, intermittently into products, and those products tend to do better than the other ones. So anyway, there are gaps that you can drive a truck through where. You can you know flip a forty dollar box or fifty dollar box for a hundred for a while, and then they put some more in the market, and the market buys it back up, and then eventually somebody gets caught with the hot potato. But looking into all of that over the last few weeks led me into looking into what's going on in the sports card uh, industry because that one, like comics in the mid nineties, died you know fast and furious after overprinting themselves into oblivion. Oh man, that was. But it's, uh a
1: deluge of sports cards. I remember when I was young in elementary school, they were, it was such a huge thing. And then like, I remember I was interested in X-Men cards and you could get, you know, boxes of X-Men cards were, I don't know, 40 or 50 bucks or something. And I, you could let, you would like go and see boxes of sports cards were like $10. They were like so much cheaper. And I was as a child confused as to what was going on.
0: Yeah. So coming out of that era, both comics and sports cards take a hit that lasts for a long, long time. And from a speculation perspective, a lot of that lower, you know, low-level to mid-level activity kind of fades out of existence as people get burned real hard. Now, that's not to say that there aren't still, there hasn't been still appreciation in, you know, the top of of that hobby. You know, things like Michael Jordan Rookie's 86, 87 Fleer have shown strong returns over time, but have accelerated like very very hard in in the last year or so and it kind of it seems like it started like six seven eight years ago when the hobby realized that they should be headed on into the premium side of things and instead of overprinting themselves into you know a complete clusterfuck they would put out really limited print run stuff and try to leverage exceedingly expensive booster boxes Fast forward to 2020 and you have products that are 300, 600, 1000, 1400, $2000. I think there's a $3000 box out there. $2000 MSRP. Yes. Or whatever,
1: you know, if they
0: yes. have an MSRP. Yes, MSRP. But a lot of this stuff doesn't end up going for that. So for instance, I think the most popular, one of the most popular uh, vehicles or products for this has been the um, panini prism series silver prism series for basketball and i think msrp on those boxes is supposed to be something like 250 and they do a thing where there's packs that they put out at like walmart and target um and then there is hobby boxes which have better pull rates but are more expensive um to get the like super premium stuff because what they do is they have some cards are like numbered one of 50, one of 100, one of 200. And the, they have this fairly innovative, actually, um, card type where they have swatches of the jersey of the player in question that are literally sandwiched in the middle of the card. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's a little window box so you can see it. And then they will put a signature label on them. And ostensibly, they send these out to the players. And if you believe <laughs> the hype, the players sign them themselves. And so you have these very rare inserts of, you know, you can get a rookie who goes on to be one of the top 25 players of all time. And if you have his signature jersey insert card from his rookie year, you could be in a real, real sweet position in 10 or 20 years. At least this is the logic that they're using. The thing is, it's people have been talking about uh, this year about how the, the, the foray into premium product for magic seems to in some ways be an echo of what has been going on in sports cards which is part of why i went went over to see what was going on and after digesting about 20 year 20 hours of youtube videos it became clear to me that people that are complaining about the you know plus minus 20% ish situation with most uh, collector booster boxes really need to go spend some time in sports cards and see how ridiculous things are over there their products are straight up lottery tickets. You can go out buy a thousand dollar box, and you see these like eighteen year olds on YouTube doing this. They like scratch together some money and go buy this box so that they can try to kickstart their YouTube channel by getting people excited with opening it. And they do a box cracking, and they pull out like two hundred dollars worth of cards in a thousand dollar box. Ugh. And your your odds. Uh, there are there is a situation by in which you pull. You know, two thousand or three thousand, or even a six thousand dollar card out of your thousand dollar box, but it's pretty rare. Right, right. It's and yet, rare. still, you have these prism boxes that were MSRP last year for whatever two fifty or three hundred, now going for five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars on eBay, and they're like sold out all over the place. You can't find product. Like I, everywhere I checked in Toronto was sold out for last year's set. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> yeah, the compare comparatively both Pokemon and sports cards look (laughs) pretty rough and much more gambling uh, problematic from the perspective of is this gambling than magic does because magic inherently has utility um you you, people would say well yeah you play your Pokemon cards too but actually not really most of the stuff that's worth money in Pokemon is not because it's a good card in the game it's because it is uh, a character and a uh, premium treatment that the fans like so it's a little different and let's put it this way the the bottom line is this be happy you're in magic (laughs) yeah if if you're squarely in magic be happy you're in magic and not in sports cards or pokemon because it's a much rougher ride over there
1: my takeaway there was that um you know those two different products vary significantly where i agree that people can play pokemon but all the really expensive pokemon stuff isn't play like aren't cards you play they're strictly collectors items which is good because if you're if you're super into pokemon and you enjoy the collecting aspect of it and the nostalgia it means the cards that you're spending money on are very different than the cards that people who are trying to play standard are buying or you know their extended format i th- I would presume as much. It's different there. There might be some overlap, but it not really as much as the way as you see in Magic. And then in sports cards, there is no utility. It's a zero utility good. So like their business models may be gross. They are what they are, what have you. But I, at least from the common Magic players argument, you know, I'm imagining you talking to, um, like Tolarian Academy about this and be like, yeah, but like sports cards, it doesn't matter. I don't need them to play, right? Like all they do is sit in a binder but I, I play EDH with these cards, so there's a, a functional difference there. And I don't think that that perspective is entirely wrong for what it's worth.
0: Well, and here's where the entrepreneur in me gets the wheels turning, because it's kind of surprising to me that given that the sports card industry must be completely, you know, at the top, the product design level, completely familiar with what goes on in the TCG space, like it's been around long enough that they've had some exposure to it and have probably borrowed some elements of the product design along the way. Um, in the other direction how have they not come to the intersection of fantasy baseball slash football slash basketball leagues plus sports collectible cards plus tcgs like how is there not a high-end sports tcg out there where the first box of this stuff they price it at 600 or whatever and they end up flipping it for 1500 on ebay and the black lotus is mickey mantle or whatever Like, it's just an all, like, they could put out eras. You know what I'm saying? They could put out, that seems like it would just do gangbusters business if you could achieve a game that was actually fun to play. But given how that industry operates, I'm not even sure how important that is. I'm not sure if the game needs needs to be good or just mediocre for that to be a gangbusters hit.
1: Well, I mean, at the very least, you'd get, you know, a couple sets out of it, even if the game is awful.
0: Uh, well it's cute it's cute because you could have the stats from a fantasy like say we're talking about basketball a fantasy basketball perspective you could get michael jordan 93 versus michael jordan 96 and you're stuck with the stats that that how good the stats for that player were in that year yeah and so pulling the player in certain years would be more exciting to add to your all-time greats team that you're trying to put together and then if the inserts have individual serial numbers on them or whatever, you could register ownership of those things. You could transfer that ownership digital digitally. You could put it into an app and let people play in the app as well. Like there's a lot of fuel there for a pretty hot product.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's even the, I think the real way to go with it off the top of my head, knowing what I know about fantasy sports, uh, which is uh, suffice to say insufficient, you could do, um, you would kind of i think basically what you what you suggested is you have a fantasy league that you play like other fan like your normal sports fantasy leagues but your the people you have available to you you get from your packs so yeah. it's not played in paper the paper cards are just barcodes that you scan into this app and then you play fantasy sports based on the team that you've assembled with the cards you've collected uh Which seems like it could could capture this, you know, maybe cross between Gen X and late millennials who are in or late Gen Z who are into fantasy sports but are on their phones all the time. Seems like it'd be kind of nifty.
0: Yeah. It it leaves me wanting to call one of my old clients because there was a guy who was an ex executive, I think, with Upper Deck who holds, if I'm not mistaken, still holds the hockey license, like the NHL license for trading cards. Um, and made some of the better cards in the 90s and they're still around today as far as i know and this dude was part of a group that had purchased millions of dollars of music collectibles so like when we were building a website for them for this project called icon it was supposed to be a uh, museum collection that was going to tour the globe and we were working on branding and the website that was going to both show off the, the touring collection, but it was also going to be an e-commerce site for a lot of the low and mid tier collectibles that they would actually flip. So the Hendrix guitar goes on tour, but the like limited edition print of a picture of him from some specific photographer, they'd have a hundred copies on the website for X amount of dollars framed to your door for whatever. And be interested to track down... Uh, the dude from the upper deck team and run this all by him. Cause I'm curious as to whether this is a conversation that's already been had. And they came to some conclusions along the way.
1: Yeah. I mean, that'd be quite, quite a big take up, I presume um, in terms of a project. Also that's, I mean, I don't know. I think of sports as being sort of maybe not old money, but a pretty large entrenched domain. Uh, perhaps they're less likely to lean into these sort of newer, features.
0: Your well, I mean, guys. apparently one of the one of the things that's uh of note in the sports card market is that basketball kind of leads the way now, whereas 30, 40 years ago it was definitely baseball. Yeah. Um, you know, the roots of sport sport cards and in in truth, the roots of the last 150 years were the collectibles could be traced back to like Honus Wagner era baseball cards. Um just the concept of collectability as a thing, which was you know aside from people that collected cuckoo clocks or you know rare like fabergé eggs or something in the in in the you know 2 300 years ago um collectability was not something that was a part of the day-to-day life of the masses that's very much a 20th and 21st century thing with a very, so, oh, it's
1: luxury right it's luxury
0: that didn't yeah. exist for a long time when you didn't have a middle class yeah, yeah. so <laughs> uh i'm i'm very curious to see where all of this is headed and yeah i mean given what i'm seeing on the sports card side i people that think vip booster packs were expensive hold your horses <laughs> Let, let's see what what wizards coughs up for modern horizons 2 because i'm very curious as to the price point of the premium product that will run alongside that
1: yeah and again i kind of get that you could i can already hear the counter argument that those are pure collectibles these are game pieces there's a difference and i I, i'm certainly um you know sensitive to that argument regardless of how much water i think it holds i don't i understand it
0: uh so something to be in mind All, all true but we also all have to be cognizant of the fact that if this game was was really primarily about play like utility then it probably would have collapsed this year. The The fact that it has survived as as hardly as it has during a period where nobody can really play face-to-face suggests that the col- collector side of this hobby has been completely underestimated. Oh, well, uh, yeah. I mean, I think Wizards, you know, we've talked about this the last couple of
1: years. Wizards seems to be pushing more towards whales than not. So I don't think there's any argument that the collectability is... a. Uh... An important feature, but I think of Magic as, like, you know, maybe it's somewhere in, like, the 50-50 or the 60-40 range, whereas Baseball Cards is just straight up 100-0, you know? Yeah,
0: true. Okay, so, uh, our agenda for the night?
1: Uh, yeah, four segments, maybe five, I don't know, a couple of them. We'll four see. and a half? Yeah, however many I feel like, deal with it. Um, segment one, our MTGO metagame week in review, we'll talk about... What's going on in Pioneer and Modern this week? Those are some exciting looking formats these days. Uh, Segment 2, Top Paper Movers. Cards that have moved the most in price over the last week. And with Commander's Legends spoilers, there's some fun stuff going on. That has our top MTGO movers on as well. Uh, then segment three, our paper cards to watch. This stuff that James and I think might have a, a good future here. There's a reason why you all tune in. Segment four, Collector's Corners. This week, James and I will talk about some of our favorite basic lands. Um, wait, <laughs> I don't know. A, a bit of a... Might not land quite correctly because we can't show you the picture on the podcast. So this is a segment to do in front of a screen so you can look up the lands as we talk about them. Um, and segment five are, uh, you know, the Commander Legend Legends spoilers have started. Let's take a look at what's going on out there. So let's hop in here. Our top metagame MTGO we can review starting with Pioneer. Uh, oops, all spells on top. Uh, that's like three or four good weeks in a row for this deck. that's just packed with the dual flip cards. And certainly makes you wonder if Modern, if Pioneer has a, s- if Wizards is sticking by Pioneer, this seems like, they've got to have an eye on it at this point
0: well oops all spells was second in the modern challenge october 17th that we looked at last week and also posted up results the week before so this is oops all spells back in pioneer which i think we saw two weeks ago i want to say yeah it it was at the top of the pioneer champs qualifier october 13th and here it is at the top again two weeks later yeah we've talked about it multiple times at this point so it has had a good string of success here. Second place, we've got Lotus Field Combo. Um, Probably most notable that they've added four Balagued recoveries. That was the Foil Uncommon DFC I called uh, a couple weeks ago that might have a chance of getting there despite being a Foil Uncommon in a high foil drop rate era. Um, We have seen a couple of Foil Uncommons per set uh, break out, things like Mystical Dispute and Noxious Grasp, and I think there's a pretty solid chance that Balagued is one of those. Mono black aggro in 3rd, Salt Eye Control in 4th, notably running 3 Uro, 4 Shark Typhoon. Typhoon just being everywhere that blue is in, in these two formats. Blue-White Spirits in 5th, Lotus Field Combo again in 6th, also running the Balageds, but uh, 3 copies instead of 4. And then a 4-color Omnath Reclamation list in 7th, 3 Omnath, 3 Uro, 3 Shark Typhoon, and 4 Wilderness Reclamation. I wish we were playing in paper. These... The way these formats look right now would be making folks so much money.
1: Yeah, I have. Uh, to, I, I, go ahead. This is a cool. This is These are cool looking formats. These are cool looking decks. I can honestly say I would be trying to play both Oops All spells and like the four color Omnath builds because I love me some land drops. Uh, I, I like Teemer. I like putting lands in the play. I like being that guy. So <clears throat> there's some cool stuff going on in this format. And I mean, I wasn't really playing a lot of modern even before, uh, like, just getting to stores to play games of Magic has been difficult for a while, but uh, it does look pretty cool. So maybe at some point.
0: Eighth place in that uh, tournament was the Sultai mid-range list with three Shark Typhoon, Fort Row, and three JVP. Uh, Jason's Prodigy, which we saw last week as well, if I'm not mistaken. Boy, there's a card I would love to see come back in
1: spades. I bought a play set of the uh, SDCC Black versions yep, of that. I've got some
0: of those too. Back in the day, and I'm pretty sure those are it, underwater, or close to it. Those are a good example of a card that for sure, at some point, the correct move was for us to just get out with a 10% loss or whatever, and re-roll those dice somewhere else. Because, But every time I looked at the card, I was like, they're so nice. Like, you can't read them, but they're like, it's a rare premium version of this card, and the card was so good when it was in standard. Yeah. <laughs> I had trouble, like, imagining that it wasn't just going to keep getting there. And the card is probably underplayed just in general or for a bit too forgotten for given how powerful it is. But it shows up in these mid-range blue lists in Pioneer over and over again. So it's a, it's a shame there isn't paper to be played. Now over in the modern challenge, just spice. It's like a spice rack all up in here in this top eight. Green-white creature combo, which we've seen over and over again recently in both first and seventh, uh, the f- and the two versions are slightly different. The first one is running for Finale of Devastation and for Eladomri's Call. The seventh place one has the Heliod combo uh, with Walking Ballista and then for Collected Company. Now, this second place deck. Whoa, boy. Blue with Death and Taxes, I suppose. You know, we've been struggling in in recent weeks to define these uh, latest evolutions of de- death and taxes type approaches where you have certain cards that are preventing your opponent from doing certain things and in this case that is in the form of Thalia, Guardi- Guardian of Thraben as well as uh, Leon- Leonin Arbiter as a four of four Giver of Runes that all kind of fits inside that mold and then they have two Deputy of Detention four Flicker Wisp uh, four Glasspool Mimic did not see this one coming this is the flip clone that can only target your own stuff that's that's got to be because it's a land right i think i think it's what's interesting to me here is that we have a dfc whose inclusion seems to be firmly rooted in its flexibility to be a land when you want it to be and otherwise clone a good card you have on the table at not a great rate really i mean in modern they have access to uh what's the two mana one that we used to see in humans um that get if it gets targeted it dies
1: phantasmal image. yes
0: so they're paying one more when they cast it to make their phantasmal image sometimes be a land uh and i definitely did not spot that for modern i thought you know glasspool mimic would be a reasonable commander card that would show up in a lot of blue decks but did not have this picked out for this format. Um, well, I, I, you know, I didn't specify
1: anything. I don't think in particular when we were talking about this before, but it doesn't surprise me entirely just because, you know, we, I do feel like I talked about the fact that um, the the flexibility was going to be important. And this has come up in the past that magic player the game of magic definitely values the flexible options, the flexibility, so, uh, the even if the any of these particular cards didn't look exciting, you're totally fine paying one extra mana, maybe even two extra mana for the an effect, and if it means you also get to have a mediocre land on the backside, because just having them both is so good. So, I don't know. I guess my point being that I am not terribly surprised. I didn't know which cards it would be, uh, but the, the utilities on those types of modal stuff is always so high, and it's hard to appreciate that when you're just reading the card.
0: The deck is also running two Selfless Saver, which is the 1-1 good boy that sacks to give a creature indestructible until end of turn. This was uh, a pivotal card in me taking down the uh, M21 uh, Pro Trader Tournament. Because it, <laughs> whatever kill spell they were trying to make use of uh, or combat trick, the savior just gets in the way and causes all sorts of math problems. So curious to see this showing up in modern. Four Skyclave Apparition doesn't surprise me. Four Spell Queller and four Stoneforge Mystic. The Mystic package here is Batterskull, Maul of the Skyclaves, which is at of Zendikar Rising. This is a two and a white equipment. Attach it to target creature you control when it enters the battlefield. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus two, flying, and first strike. And then re-equipping costs four. Did not have this picked out for modern play either. I can't. I would never have guessed that Stoneforge Mystic, having access to Sort of Fire Ice and Batterskull, also wants to have Maul handy. Uh, that is curious.
1: I can only imagine that they're highly valuing the flying, but I'm not
0: sure. And then of course they're running four path to exile and four ether vile, which is a package we've seen uh, in decks of this nature for a long time. And then the other notable two notables here this is pretty spicy, four confounding conundrum, which was flagged as being. Uh, this is the enchantment from Zennikar Rising as well. One in a blue. When it enters the battlefield, you draw a card, so it cantrips right away. And then whenever a land enters the battlefield under an opponent's control, if that player had another land enter the battlefield under their control this turn, they return a the land they control to its owner's hand. So it stops the primetime decks, the uh, your sometimes Tron, and decks that are using fetch lands from executing their, their ramp game plan. They... If it's the second land to enter, one of them goes to their hand. So it just slows them right down. Uh, mm-hmm. And then going back to the, the creatures, they have 36 creatures in this deck. Most of them cost two or less. And they're running two Lurus So another deck running Lurus in the main. Uh, and they have... I noticed they had 27 lands and 36 creatures, and I was like, wait, that's a lot of cards. And then I realized it's a Lurus plus Yorion deck. Yorion in the yard. I mean, in the sideboard, so that they can flicker uh, Stoneforge Mystics, Spell Quellers, Skyclave Apparition. Um, They can use the flicker to put the the Maul of the Skyclaves onto a creature automatically, because it gets attached when it comes into play. The glass pool Mimic can be reset, uh, and the Flicker Wisps and Deputies of Detention can go off again. It also flickers the Confounding Conundrum to draw you another card. This is quite something, this deck. Huh. Yeah,
1: that's m- there's a lot of meta choices in there, I think, mm-hmm. um, that are definitely cute to see, but I would be reluctant to, <laughs> to, to pin uh, format expertise on any of that. It's pretty
0: funny, though, that years and years of how dare you run 61 cards in your deck is just being thrown right out the window for your <laughs> over and over again in multiple formats.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, And think they added three mana to the cost of these things. Mm-hmm. Pretty wild. all
0: right so that was that second place deck which really blew my mind third place is uh, a blast from the past we haven't seen this one in a while as foretold as it existed more or less a year and a half ago this is brazen borrower greater gargadon Simeon, spirit guide ancestral vision crashing footfalls finale of promise restore balance serum visions a bunch of blue and red Control E spells as for Tool, back on the podium
1: yeah yeah, I, I honestly uh, surprised we haven't seen more of it. It doesn't seem like the deck itself
0: would have been bad as much as maybe uh, the meta wasn't great for it. It's hard to say. Blue Black Mill in fourth place. Talked about that deck last week. Here they are running four maddening cacophony, just like I told people to pick up if they're playing mill. Two Franks Sin- Is that missing? Is it missing the glimpse unthinkable Indeed. again? Indeed, yeah. it is. Um, so this is the new version of mill. And this one has two Ashiok Dream Render in the main, which I don't think we saw last week. And they also have three Thieves Guild Enforcer in the main, uh, which forces the opponent to mill two cards and potentially gives you a 3-2 Death Touch that can buy you some time. Uh, that creature having Flash uh, seems important here. Seems to me like they might not run it if they didn't. Flash is a good move. Well, just because you get to surprise a, a key... Like, somebody runs in their Omnath, and you can block it with this thing for one black and kill it. Yeah, I mean, it's almost a... a removal spell as much as it is anything else, possibly. Sure. So anyway, Mill Mil consistently posting up top eights in Modern. Definitely worth a flag, because that deck was laughed it's, out of the room for a long time.
1: Yeah, it, it's cool. I don't see it being... Um, Probably not a permanent fixture. I think Mills very hateable if you need to, uh,
0: but good at
1: taking down events until people take it
0: seriously. Well, I'll tell you, a lot of this meta does not seem to be relying on the graveyard. the The Ubsal spell stack also exists in Modern, but it didn't top eight here, and there I don't see any dredge lists uh, in this week's list. Now, I mean, that's gonna that could easily be not the case next week because I think in recent weeks we have seen those decks appear, but you know, maybe the the sideboard hate is, is present. Um, you know, looking at most of these other decks, they, they are all packing some form of graveyard hate for the most part. Yeah. Um, so fifth place deck, also interesting, blue-red control, just kind of straight blue-red control. Three Jace the Mind Sculptor, four Snapcaster Mage, two Cleansing Wildfire, the most played Zendikar Rising card in modern so far. 26, six blue and red instants, things like Lightning Bolt, Force Negation, Cryptic Command, Archmage's Charm two blood moon this is just blue red control as it is under kind of classically understood with a a couple of little tweaks
1: remember when people played caranos yep
0: i remember Mm -hmm. that was a while ago (laughs) sixth place is a bant creature uh list that is has elements of the blue white list that finished second but also, some unique things going on. So this is two birds of paradise, three giver of runes, two glasspool mimic again, four ice van I like mimic into ice van or Quaddle into mimic. That's nice. Ooh, that's fine. Because yeah. they're both they're, then they're both snow creatures that that uh, give each other death touch. Like yeah. one, if you go mm-hmm. one, any any land snow land quaddle next turn mimic, you have all, both of them turned on as death touchers. Uh, four noble hierarch, four two captain ranger captain of eos out of modern horizons, two scavenging ooze, four skyclave apparition, discard, everywhere. Four of, four of, four of. Lots of different shells, lots of different lists Four Spell Queller, four Stoneforge Mystic, four collected company, two Path to Exile, a Batter Skull, and a Sword of Feast and Famine. <laughs> Apparently they didn't think that the zendikar Rising Maul was worthwhile. Uh yeah, so and this doesn't have Heliod combo stashed in it or anything. There's no Walking Blissed plus Heliod. There's no um, Devoted Druid combo. Feels like there's about six or seven different ways to build green, white, or bant creatures at this point, depending on which way you want to go. Yeah. And I mean, they, I'm sure they all speak to different metagames and
1: so forth. Uh, just a pile of useful, valuable, high, high value creatures in those decks and, Pick your pick
0: your poison, as they say. Yeah, the bant one is very value town. The seventh place one is the green white creature combo that I was referring to with Heliod and Walking Ballista, so that's a its own thing. And they're running two Eldermere's Call and four Collected Company. I feel like Coco and Call would both be doing very well right now if paper was in was in play.
1: Uh, yeah, Collected Company is definitely
0: showing up a lot. A card that I've thought about more than one time. Yeah, and then eighth place here we have the green white Prime Time. Uh, Build that has 30 land, also using Eladamri's Call, Path to Exile, and then 21 creatures. got a Yasharn in there from Zendikar Rising. Uh, People can't pay life or sacrifice non-land permanents to cast spells or activate abilities, which basically shuts off fetch lands. That's cute. Mm -hmm. And four dried of the Elysian Grove, of course. All in all, I'm seriously considering getting on Magic Online and starting to play one of these two formats because they both look fun. Yeah, yeah.
1: If you, if you're in the market, uh, they don't both do seem amusing, um, and uh, I wonder what the prices on these are to actually build them.
0: I think I want to play the blue white thing because the Luris plus Yorion angles on top of everything else that deck is doing seems like it would take a little while to get boring. Uh
1: yeah, definitely. Probably a lot to learn with that deck. A lot of interactions to find. Any deck with flicker
0: effects is going to have a lot of uh, a lot of toys this deck does not look expensive on magic online a lot of this stuff has to be pretty cheap Hmm, i'll have to look this one up on on goldfish and see what it's going for um, yeah all right so moving on to the top paper movers of the week all sorts of action a lot of it uh related to the commander legend reveals both the uh legal and illegal ones um Start of the list here, we've got Oko Thief of Crowns Borderless Foils from Eldrain uh, going from 120 to 180. Keep in mind that this was a cast pick by me back in May of 2020 at I think $80, maybe 60. Have to double check on that. But we also had Cardius call it four weeks ago on cast. And both of those predictions have come true. We now, now it looks very reasonable to unload these cards north of 180 and get out clean.
1: Oh yeah, the Okos are, are looking good here. Uh, I've got a pile of them. A pile, a handful, of playset maybe. And I'm now thinking like I should uh, should dig those out and see what my options are. Because I don't know if I want to be saddled with them too much longer. Yeah. Depending on how Getting things get. Getting in and out
0: in a year if you, if you bought... You know in the 60 to 80 dollar range is pretty good it looks like my call in may was 60 to 100 because i originally picked up my copies i think closer to 80 or 90 and it would have been mid-fall last year and i'm pretty sure the discussion around that was like when i first called it was this thing is just doing so well everywhere but asterix it could easily get banned and fall and indeed that's what happened it was too good it did get banned in multiple formats it did fall But by May, they were sitting around at 60, but it looked like they were draining out and give it a few more months and they're gone. So, Well, the difference was that we were
1: like, this card could be too good and get banned, but we didn't think it was going to happen in a month or whatever time frame it was, right? It
0: was so fast. It was like, oh, okay, we were right, but we were too right. I I think we were pretty (laughs) sure Standard and Pioneer were real risks. I think we thought it would probably survive in Modern, but it didn't yeah uh, ter- turns Shame. out it doesn't matter because <laughs> just edh legacy vintage and cube has been enough to drain this thing out i wonder if people think it's going to get unbanned find that hard to believe uh, if there's that contingent i mean that may that can always be an element of the speculation um but i think it's just like it's, it's like when jason mine sculptor was banned but was still relatively expensive yeah, there does seem to be... I mean, we've seen this multiple times with these like multi-format
1: Planeswalkers and cards that are very, very powerful. Even if they get banned everywhere, irrelevant, they still end up uh, climbing back price-wise.
0: This next one uh, almost ended up... Was second place this week. Uh, almost ended up the Pro Trader pick of the week. Elves of Deep Shadow out of Ravnica. The foils going from 16 to 25. It's in thousands and thousands of decks on EDH Rec. I think it's 14,000 or something. Tons of them. And um, there's only there's an FNM promo and that was actually the pick from the pro trader that mentioned it, that you could pick up copies in Europe, 10 to $12 um, and they're draining out pretty hard on TCG Player and notably it uses the art from the original printing in the dark. That's the first printing of the card. So an FM promo using the dark art. That's about as safe from a reprint as I can imagine. Yeah,
1: I, I can definitely see elves with deep shadow coming back. Even, I mean, honestly, in Commander's Legends, it seems reasonable. But I also agree that it is highly unlikely you're going to get the same el- uh, art back. Um, yeah, that old art of that woman. Yeah. Just looking out at the viewer. I mean, it has nothing to do with elves that you would expect. So certainly
0: basically unreprintable artwork yeah it doesn't fit at all with the with the art direction of the game in modern times no and they did update it in the future versions too so that's if, if it didn't get new art it would definitely get that art yeah it looks like yes yeah, almost sixteen thousand decks on edh rack so uh seems very reasonable to be snapping off some of those fnm copies in europe yeah there's like way
1: too many birds of paradise land where elves that get played in edh in general i think uh, but people play it, so the card goes up in price, even if even if they
0: shouldn't. Maybe it's more CDH stuff,
1: more useful there.
0: Escape to the Wilds at a Throne of Eldraine foil extended arts ten to twenty um, banned at a standard, but still seeing some play in Pioneer and has proven itself enough to be a solid contender for EDH usage um, alongside Omnath or otherwise. Not a huge surprise to see that still moving. No Mercy Masterpiece Series Invocation going 60 to 120. I sold one of these closer to 90 this week. So might be somebody trying to start mopping up invocations. Quite a lot of them are looking like they're on the drain. And we'll talk about one of them in my picks for the week. Um, It's a solid EDH Rattlestate card. It's only ever had two printings. It's had the original printing in Urza's block way back in the day, 20 years ago. And then as an invocation so that that's a big part of why uh it's able to drain so ably
1: well the um you know the masterpieces have been we're on kind of a move two or three weeks ago might still be some action there some traction and i'm not surprised you might see invocations starting to get picked off uh just if only because the odds of seeing artwork uh border styles that dramatic i think Dropped after invocations. We, we've
0: seen a we've are. seen a very strong reactionary signal in 2020 that Wizards intends to print tons of premium product, but it's going to be bland. Yeah, they, they, they yeah. Vi-
1: all the stuff they've made so far has been.
0: And and the the latest addition to that signal set is that we're getting a select set of commons and uncommons in extended art and extended art foil in the collector booster packs for Commander Legends. We mentioned that last week, so that is part and parcel with them signaling on a continuing basis that that will probably continue to happen. And they want there to be some unified aesthetic for premium magic so that people can build decks that pull all these cards together. And they don't just look like total insanity because if they had kept going down that road of invocations with wild border treatments for the premium stuff forever, you would just end up with this insane mishmash of aesthetics that would just be so hard on the eyes. And it's not that they've given up on giving us interesting stuff. They've just moved it to the showcase slots and regular sets so that they can put out some interesting stuff, but not necessarily dominate top tables with it. And uh, Yeah, I-, I like the
1: decision to make the borderless style essentially the 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 standard premium treatment and then reserving options other avenues to do more wild effects um but so far they haven't leaned into that right like if we had any showcase cards where the borders are not showcase uh secret layer cards
0: where the borders have been wild there's all been artwork off the top of my head, I think it's mostly just been... I think artwork. you're right. I mean, there's definitely some room for them to play with that. They they should be making some secret layers along the way here that look a lot less like regular Magic cards. Just because that's yeah. one of the things that you can do with that particular product line. Yeah,
1: I I like being able... Like saying, okay, well, we're going to do all borderless every time so that that option is available to if you'd like it. But we're also going to do some really wild stuff that, you know you have access to. Um and I like the experimentation with that type of thing. You can end up with some really cool cards there that are a lot of fun. Um and some people like that, you know, kind of wild look. Uh I mean I would be personally as so it's um I would like to see them lean more into it. And even though you they kind of missed on invocations, uh, I like that they went for it. And really this speaks to my complaint with magic art in general that they've been just been become way too safe with it. Um in for a long time now uh the secret layer is where they've actually started to do something a little more interesting with it but that's a discussion for another episode
0: yeah all right so yeah escape to the wilds no mercy arbor elf foils at a world wake 10 to 25 um uh also sees frequent play in modern and commander uh it's that's got more than one version right so the master's
1: 25 yeah. So M25 foils are 350. How deep's th- how deep's that inventory looking? There are eight vendors. Mm-hmm. So
0: free money, probably, for anyone who wants them. Yeah, Sounds about right. Uh, Corsair Captain out of Jumpstart, going from $3 to $8. That's almost certainly on the back of the Commander Legends Pirate sub theme that's been revealed. Frenetica Freet from 250 to 7, that's a reserve list card. That's going to be on the back of Krark being revealed for Commander Legends. We finally have the thumbless goblin that people can create coin-flipping decks with and then seriously upset all of the people that are playing webcam EDH with, um, with all the ridiculous coin-flipping. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I hadn't really considered that feature. Uh, did you
1: notice that you can actually... Uh, I don't know if you remember it, there's a card from Mirrodin Besieged called uh, Bludgeon... Bludgeon Brawl, which gives all artifacts and equip cost. So now you can you can actually with that card you can equip Krark's thumbs back on. Yeah,
0: because there's Klark's other thumb from one of the unsets. And somebody posted on Twitter, you probably saw the same thing, where they said, like, you win the game automatically when you're playing with me if you manage to turn Krok's thumbs into equipment and equip him with them.
1: Yes. Yeah, which I, I appreciate that. And if you yell at anyone playing Clark for having Clark's other thumb in their deck, you're, uh, you're bad. They direction. should
0: have just gone ahead and printed that on Clark. Like, it would have been the funniest win condition of all time. Yeah, yeah if he is equipped
1: with both if of thumbs. If Clark yeah. is equipped
0: with both of his thumbs, you win the game. And they could have just left it at that, even if it doesn't work in the rules. <laughs> Everybody would understand, it, and it's fine.
1: Yeah, I mean, people would, the the biggest problem with that is people would be trying to figure out how to, how, like, wait, how do you were supposed to equip it, and then realize there's not a lot of options. I, I think it's totally okay but, if the
0: game has some weird inside jokes like that.
1: Yeah, and I, I I'm, I'm agree with you, especially in Commander Legends, like that seems, if you're going to do it anywhere in Black Border, that's the place to
0: do it. Admiral Beckett Brass out of Ixalan, $1 to $4, also pirate sub-theme uh, nonsense. Let me put it this way. I haven't seen enough yet from this pirate sub theme to be convinced that these pirate specs are anything other than hype spikes that you're supposed to be just (laughs) exiting at whatever price and running.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I think that that goes almost without saying, but it's what we do. So we have to say it. These are like, yes, they're, they're fine. If you are one of the first people to see these cards get spoiled and you manage to post it or, you know, snag the super cheap copies of the pirate card uh, that, and you know, relist it like that's fine. But these are not long term specs, especially since we talked about this before that uh, Commander Legends is going to open up so many pathways. Yeah. Uh, you don't want to get stuck trying to hope that pirates is the one that people like. definitely.
0: And I just haven't seen the, a pirate commander yet. That's exciting. That's really going to like be one of the top three to five because if it's not one of the top three to five with any kind of sustain then who cares the pirate thing's just not yeah. gonna really shouldn't go anywhere the kark's thumb itself at a foils from five to 18 this spiked back when coin flip stuff came out for battle bond and then i sure. sold some it retreated i think i've got a japanese foil still sitting in my inventory that i'm sure will sell shortly um the foils have gone poof. Like, I think we, when Kark was revealed yesterday, we flagged it in the Discord. I, I posted something saying, like, there's a handful of copies out there near 30. These are going to go to whatever. And sure enough, they're all gone now. Um, Stitch and Time, same kind of thing. It's Kark-related because it uh, lets you flip coins for extra turns. Foils from 10 to 50 or whatever people will pay you. This is yeah. where you re- remind people not to get greedy. Like, if you got in on something at 8 like a foil stitch in time and you can get out at 20 take it and run you don't you don't need to wait for 50 don't post it at 58 58 and and be like because <laughs> people may just ignore your post <laughs> they don't need the card that bad right
1: yep totally agree on all right
0: that. moving on to the top magic online movers of the week charming prince out of Eldrain drain from uh 1.19 tickets to 1.1, 1.68 for 41% gains. That's from Azorius Blink running it as a three-oven of standard, I'd imagine. Uh, a deck that's on the rise in that format. Zagoth Triome out of Icoria going from $1.15 to $1.64, 42% gains. On the back of Sultai Ramp being a standard four-of. Ancient Green Warden out of Zendikar Rising from a $0.91 cents to $1.42. Couldn't find any evidence that that's getting played anywhere other than EDH, um, but is a mythic in that set. Oxivagonus from Theros Beyond Death from 470 to 820, uh, 75% gains. That's on the back of mid range running the card in standard, uh, a format that was not really using the card up to that point. And then Hushbringer and of Eldrain from 34 cents to 67 cents, uh, probably on a modicum of play in both standard, Pioneer, and ADH. All right, so nothing little bit of movement on the moto front
1: but nothing like we've seen in past weeks where you have that 900 percent gain yeah,
0: mostly reflective of a some fresh shifts in the standard meta yeah okay so wow, well, blow through second segment two and two B
1: there pretty good and i think i think uh, there's a couple cards in my head that we'll probably see show up in the numbers next week uh Mar- oh God, was there any Marilyn of the Mourn Song? It's not Marilyn. Uh, it's, Marilyn. Uh, ma- it is Marilyn. It is Marilyn. Like, uh, I can't wait to see the first Kluge altar of, or it's like Marilyn Monroe or something. Um, Marilyn of the Mourn Song combos with the new Black Card that w- that showed up. So I'm sure we'll see this on next week numbers and one or two other cards that basically popped today. Yeah. So, so Commander Legends definitely moving some cardboard. Yeah, and I don't think we're done at all.
0: There's plenty more to come from <sighs> that set.
1: Yeah. All right. So, uh, segment three, our paper cards to watch, uh, commander legends in full swing. How have you been
0: approaching this? All right. So this is a pick an echo pick echo pick is where James picks something early. It doesn't go anywhere for a while. And then he mentions it again. <laughs> we have been down this road fast as Oracle, non-foil extended arts, 10 to $12 to 20. Called almost made almost exactly the same call in January on a six to twelve month horizon. Except now the ramp is much steeper and the clock is ticking. So you could have waited till now. If I got you in early, apologies, but it's not not going to steer you too wrong because this card is still seeing play all over the place. It's a it ends up comboing with like one to two new cards per set. It seems like, and there are always going to be new ways to abuse this for as long as it is possible to abuse it. CZDH play in significant quantity. It saw a lot of Pioneer play before they hated it out of the format with bans. But I have every confidence that you will continue to see versions of decks end up running Oracle in constructed formats for some time to come.
1: I feel like I'm having deja vu. Oh, called January. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's uh, it continues to be a very good card. Um, continues to see a lot of play. I can't, I can't fathom seeing it again anytime soon. It's ostensibly still in print. It just came out last January. Yeah, yeah. man, was it that recently?
0: Twenty twenty is the longest last, year ever.
1: <laughs> last, last January in tw- last January twenty nineteen. <coughs> no, twenty twenty. Right? Really? That was this? No, oh, yeah, I guess that's true. My it's God, still, it's still in standard. It's not even past its first year in standard. Oh man, I have lost. All sense of time. We were talking about this the other day. We're like, I read a date that says November 2019, and I think it was three months ago. But at the same time, we think of something that happened in January, and it's like that's another lifetime ago.
0: Yeah, so I own copies of this. I own foils of this. I've sold some along the way when it was doing really well in Pioneer. Now I'm sitting on some. I'm sure that I'm going to get my exit. I don't know if it's three months or six months from now, maybe even nine months from now, but I'm very confident that Extended Art, passes Oracles, are a card you want in your inventory. You're just playing chicken with the ramp at this point.
1: Yes. Yeah, I think overall you're in good shape on these. Um... We're down
0: to like 30 listings yeah. on TCG. Nobody has more than... Three or four copies for the most part, it's onesie twosies. MGG Mint card, a big Asian vendor, has eight copies at 14 as the only thing even approximating a wall. And there's just no easy way to source these. They can only come out of Theros Beyond Death collector booster boxes, which don't have uh, tremendous EV um and so people are not super motivated to crack them but from a collector perspective those might be some cbs you want to take a look at there actually are quite a few interesting cards in there you can pull out uros you can pull out croxes you can pull out Thassa's oracles you can pull out um uh nix bloom ancient you can pull out the foil nix lands of course you get uh one of those in every pack which is a nice you know one to two to three dollar boost depending on which one you pick um, and the Shadow spears in there. Heliod is probably going to get places eventually. Thassa is a good EDH card long-term. Set is it's not that bad. It's pretty good, actually. Underworld Breach, um, despite being banned in Pioneer. So, yeah, Thassa's Oracle, Extended Hurts. Yeah. yeah, it's uh, definitely a solid, a, a pretty reasonable box of stuff to crack, even though the one I cracked was... <laughs> It's a there, there are some, like, one of the things about opening Collective Boosters is you have to get used to opening dollar or $2 premium cards, like, or $0.50 cent premium cards. And it's funny, because some of, sometimes that stuff gets there later. Now, now your average rare isn't going to. I, I still have issues with the fact that we're getting extended art foils of all of the rares. I think a case could be made that you could make them less rare per card and curate that list um uh i i think i i'm actually okay with it because you
1: if their goal is to be able to give players consistent access and consistent treatment then trying to play the game of deciding which cards are um going to be good and need it and which cards don't like i don't trust wizards to play that game and i don't think they trust themselves so like I guess I'm okay with just doing it to all the rares because it means no matter which ones end up being good, you have that available to you.
0: I I can also see them combining the list with collector boosters. Um, anyway, we can get into some formulation variations maybe as a topic of the of the day down the road. Um, suffice it to say for now that st- every once in a while something like a, uh, Enter the Wilds is going to go from a dollar to what is it now twenty. Those were dirt dirt cheap when they first came out in Eldrin. Before mm-hmm, Omnath mm-hmm. reared his terrible head. Yep. Uh
1: so, okay. So sorry, escape to let the me, wilds, uh, not enter the
0: wilds. Your first yeah. pick,
1: sir. First pick, so I am looking at the Commander of Legends cards, not trying to decide how to proceed and i'm like okay well what are you know i don't want to hit on any particular themes but i still want to pick cards that i think players are going to go looking for as they start building new commander decks since this is going to give them a lot of options also trying to mostly get out of the way of reprints that we don't know are in the chamber so i settled on lands this week and went looking for some opportunities in that space um I might have some different, some other ideas once Commander Legends spoilers wrap, and I know what's not there. But I thought these seemed like a good place to go, so I will uh, kick off this week with pack foil Erborg Tomb of Yawgmoth. Looking at copies from Magic 2015, most likely they're floating around thirty dollars. So Erborg is in uh, just under fifty thousand EDH rock decks. It's a constant top card in mana bases. Uh, the Planar Chaos foils are $75 with so the same art. The UMA pack foils, there are two copies, and they're like $37 and 40 The UMA box topper is $120. Uh, so that means the M15 pack foil is the cheapest and also the most available with a whopping 10 copies or so on TCG right now. <clears throat> uh, I don't see Urborg sneaking into Commander Legends at this point, uh, that is still possible so just be aware um but i you know it doesn't seem like it's gonna get, get get you here uh but as long as it gets through commander legends here unscathed i think these are gonna creep from 30 up to 50 or 60 bucks as it continues to uh to be a very popular card in the format there's also the from the vault realms copy but nobody likes those
0: yeah, I'm just looking through the various options here. The thing about Urborg is that it could show up on the list pretty easily, but those aren't foil, at least so far. Um, it could show up in Modern Horizons 2, but not clear to me that that's a a, a big priority. Um, you've only got the 2015, the Ultimate Masters, and the Planar Chaos versions. Uh, you Never. also have the Ultima- I mean, Ultimate Masters box toppers, which last I checked are hollowed out, if I'm not mistaken. I think we're down to... Like, they start at 120 Um Yeah, the, pri- the price is so expensive. Not not a comparable good uh, versus the 2015 versions. The foils for the 2015 are down to, what, eight copies? And in Ultimate Masters, we're looking at two. So... Yeah, time is now, because <laughs> I, I, it's a little bit of a a tightrope, because I'm inclined to pick up some copies, but if it is in, in Commander Legends, you will get blown out, because no one's going to prioritize 2015 Ultimate Masters copies over Commander Legends copies. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with that.
1: If it does show up there, then that would be a beating. Uh, it seems relatively unlikely, but again, not saying it's impossible.
0: Yeah, I think if you wait I personally I'm inclined to wait a few days, try to feel it, see if it gets crunched out of the uh the list, the card list for Commander Legends just by the alphabet math and then once it's an all clear signal then I would feel comfortable grabbing up some. Truth be told, I did not check the number crunch. Uh I do not do not know if it's available I, or I not. I don't think it's crunched out last I checked. Um but definitely were you looking for a specifically? No, but I just don't remember like seeing no i wasn't looking for it specifically so i i i would only have (laughs) flagged it if somebody mentioned uh its current status in the discord so uh worth whoever's listening to go check that uh by the time whatever day you happen to be absorbing this content because facts might have changed by then uh my next pick of the week looking at let's see how about speaking of Masterpiece Series Invocations, I went looking to see w- which ones are drained extra hard. And I almost flagged Damnation, but realized I had called that somewhere back down the road and it was set up for a win. Um, very few Invocation Damnations left. It's actually one of the Invocations that looks pretty great. There's a lot of black and gold in the art with Nickel Bolas in the art uh, damning a bunch of poor amonkhet citizens and the black invocations with their black and gold match it perfectly so there's no color clash going on the whole thing works better than the average invocation by by a long mile and consequently they're draining down pretty low judge foil damnations that we called a ways back uh, maybe six months ago are also setting up for a very good position i think i picked up a bunch of those from card kingdom on buy list uh, exit at 40 bucks value or something and they're going to be 80 to 100 shortly Um, so that's all looking pretty good. So I went to see what other invocations are drained low enough that they seem like a reasonable play. I came up with aggravated assault, uh, Mm. put a confidence level of this at a nine. You can pick them up around $25, but the trick is you got to get them in the EU because they're drained down on TCG in the 50 to $60 range already, but they're plentiful at about 20 euros on card market. This is straight arbitrage. because This card is 6,500 decks in EDH rec. It's CK buy list backed at $30 cash, $39 credit. So picking them up at 25 in Europe is a complete no-brainer. I like Aggravated Assault. This card is very
1: cool, and I think I own a couple of these, specifically the, invoca- the yeah, Invocation copies. I think I grabbed them when they were cheap. I, I want to say that and this is a pick from
0: way mind. back and it might be pretty far because the only copy I could find in my inventory that I own is a misprint copy an invocation misprint mind you that I picked up on Facebook Oop. for $48 apparently in November 2017 and it's been sitting in my EDH box ever since and this thing has a, a person's thumbprint from the factory imprinted on the card in gold ink so I would huh. imagine this is probably going to go for at least a hundred to one hundred and fifty when I resell it. Yeah, what? I've never seen a thumbprint on a card before.
1: That's wild. Let alone on a masterpiece. Yeah, that's funny. But hmm. when
0: when the dude was selling it to me, I think they were twenty bucks or something on TCG. So he got forty eight. He was getting a significant misprint premium. Um, everybody wins. But now they are basically sold out under sixty, so whole different story. Um, and I should be able to get the same misprint premium again, <laughs> up over hundred. Oh yeah, I bet. So I just
1: checked my history. I bought two of these at uh, sixteen dollars. The invocation. And if you take
0: if you take uh, a look at remaining copies, I think we have something like eight listings left on TCG Player under sixty. I don't know if that's U.S. or Euro because I bought it in Europe. Either are you're still
1: doing fine. I like this pick because it makes me money, cor- sort of.
0: Fair enough. <laughs> Conflict conflicts it's are not stated. A pump and dump we if are you saved. pump it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I bought that card like right after Invocations came out. So, um, but no, I do think the I, I liked Aggravated Assault when I bought it because I th- knew it was a popular card that had gone forever without a reprint, and I would figured Wizards might look at that as their well, we reprinted it. Deal with it, nerds uh so
0: yeah let's put it this it way this is the part. only timeline i have marked on my sheet this year that says immediate yeah which means it's yeah. just That's straight just sure. arbitrage yeah all right your next pick uh,
1: yeah so sticking with the lamb theme uh we are getting the other half of the scars and mirrored in fast lands and commander's legends Uh, which means that my Hinterland Harbor pick is probably very safe from a reprint here. Uh, Looking at the foils out of Dominaria. So they are currently $11 or so, 10 to $11. Hinterland Harbor shows up in 35,000 EDH rec decks. It is one of the most popular Simic lands. I think it's like the second or third most popular Simic land out there. There are under five copies of the like two or three other foil printings. There's like a, pre-release copy and like a planeswalker promo pack foil copy um very few of those i think there's like 15-ish 20 of the dominaria ones left there's not many theros ones either and the theros ones are kind of ugly so uh yeah pick up pick up these up at 11 dollars. there's a lot of cool rug and cement cards in commander legends it's a very most popular color combo um i'd be i think if you're getting in at these at 10 or 11 you can probably ride them up to 20 to 25 bucks
0: What was the inventory level looking like?
1: Uh, On all of the other copies, it's like under five. It's like two or three
0: vendors. And it's only ever been in Innistrad and Dominaria. Yeah. And the art on the Dominaria version is clearly superior. It's gorgeous, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I, I love this as a spec pick, uh, immediately, but the ramp is there. Like, you, you need to sell about 15 copies, and then you get up to about 15, and then you sell another five, and you're closer to 20. At minimum, as a collector, you know, EDH pickup, get them now because next reprint, I mean, could be anywhere from within the year to within five years. I don't see this particular set of ran- lands being a huge priority, um, given the attention they've given some other. Uh, you know, we just got a flip dual land cycle. They'll get back around to this, but hard to say when. Yeah, I mean, they they revisit these in foil. Like, if you look at a lot
1: of the popular lands in, in Commander, and you look them up on, um, like, Skyland, uh, Scryfall Skyland is my old website, on Scryfall, there are, are usually quite a few copies of them, but very few foil. Which seems like that's probably where this would go. You know, they'll stick it in some arch enemy or some, you know, whatever product. Uh, so you could end up with eight, nine printings, and but still only two or three foils, uh, which is why I like it. And I, I agree. Like, I mean, when you compare it to something like Aggravated Assault, where you can just go buy it for $35 under TCG Low, like, yeah, that's that sure does work. Um So it's not as sexy as that, but it's a nice kind of thing that you can stash away as you're doing some other shopping that should pay off uh,
0: probably in the next six six to nine months. The real risk with this, with any of these cycles of things that are necessary in key formats and have not been printed in the premium era, is that the next time you see them, they're going to be extended art foils and extended arts. And that stuff will, I believe, take a greater and greater share of the upscale market that used to go to regular foils. And so for as long as they can dodge a premium treatment, the foils are, are a reasonable hold, pick, spec, flip, whatever. But once they catch it, you're in trouble. And for reference, I would you refer people back to how cheap the foil temples got out of both Theros Beyond Death and Core 21, where you have $2 or $3 foil extended art dual lands that see plenty of play in Commander and Cube and are still dirt, dirt cheap just because the EV math forces something to be cheap in all of these sets. Um, so this one is, is also a TikTok waiting game, like hoping that you're going to dodge reprint for long enough to get in and get out yeah yeah that's that's fine i think that's the case of a lot of these honestly um Um, all right my net net final pick of the week giver of runes foils six to 12 month horizon modern horizons card 20 to 40 keep in mind the foil drop rates that started last year do not apply to modern horizons it had a regular foil drop rate so you only get like one foil rare mythic per box generally speaking so foil giver of runes are not that easy to find Um, They're also not that easy to restock because nobody's cracking Modern Horizons anymore. And we're getting Modern Horizons 2 next summer as the main, you know, constructed reprint focused vehicle for 2021. Very unlikely anything, I'd say maybe one, maybe two cards from Modern Horizons might show up in MH2 if they are uh, things that Wizards think make sense in the draft format or something. But... I don't see Giver of Runes being on that list and probably the biggest danger to this card would be showing up in a secret lair at some point this year. If they gave us a foil Giver of Runes for International Women's Day next spring or something, uh, I think that's when it is, um, that could be a problem. <laughs> that could certainly run interference, but you might have time to get out. And of course, in the reprint heavy reprints era, you never know when you're going to get stung by one, but many things will dodge that bullet for longer than you think. And we're seeing this card show up all over the place. Uh, It's in 4700 EDH rec decks, and it's in the top eight of uh, multiple different shells in modern lately, Um, including that really cool blue white list that we were talking about earlier. So I think these are going to get there. Giver of runes is certainly a potent
1: card uh, in Modern that we've seen show up in time and time again, and uh, probably hangs around Legacy. Okay. Might be pulling that. Out I of think that I
0: think in Legacy modern. they tend to think. run Mom
1: over this. Yeah, I yeah I didn't know if I mean Mom is a very powerful card. I wasn't sure what their breakdown looked like if they were splitting or running five or six or what. Um, but still uh, a solid card here. Uh, I agree that we're probably not going to see a reprint anywhere soon i would expect modern horizons 2 to pull in one to three modern horizons 1 reprints um you know kind of the banner something a couple banner cards for modern horizons 1 they can bring back but i would agree that they're going to use that space to pull new cards in um the mod the ed track play is is decent is decent enough some good modern play, yeah. I mean, I think your your setup here is pretty solid. Uh, it really it's just a matter of your it's a competitive card. Uh, people are going to buy play sets for the most part. Uh, you probably don't have
0: uh, influx of foils anywhere in the near future, so attrition is on your side here. Yeah, I'm looking up the legacy play. It doesn't look like it's really there, but you know what it is Skyclave Apparition <laughs> has a three up in that yeah. deck these days. Um, that card is Interesting. literally everywhere. Um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna toss out. Are you done talking about Mother Giver of Runes here? Yeah, so I d- I have one more counterpoint for Giver of Runes. It's possible that by the time people get back to paper magic, um, you know the the meta will have shifted enough in the face of you know set after set of powerful new cards that seem to be disrupting you know all the way back to modern relatively easily these days. And so if you know paper play resumes in nine months or something, it's possible that it never really drains hard enough in in paper to get there, but. Um, given that it has got EDH backing, that may not be a big deal.
1: Yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, modern is going to stick around for a while. So I, I think even if you end up on a two or three year time frame here, um, because of external factors, it's, you're probably still safe. Uh, I just want to toss out, I, 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 I had the tab open. I didn't write it down, but this will be a semi treat for people who listen and, other, don't just look at the screenshots we post in Discord yeah. after the cast is edited. Um, something to put on your radar, I guess, is uh, wait, what's, what's the exact name of it? Drowned Catacomb, which has like six foil printings. This is the blue black Checkland land um, that originated in M10 that cycle with uh, oh my god, I'm having trouble remembering these card names though what were the other ones in that cycle oh my god well whatever it's a blue black check land um it's got like five or six foils but none of them really have more than about seven or eight copies they're all pretty low and some of them hang around in the eight to ten dollar range and others are like 16 and 17 so this is not anything you need to rush out to pick up um, which is you know why it's not on my list for this week, but just something to put on your radar. I think some there's some value in here because these are quite popular in EDH and uh, if we don't see any reprints anytime soon. Those foils could get a good bit lower.
0: Um, so just just be aware of it, I suppose. Sure. Seems reasonable. Pretty spicy uh, pro trader pick this week from AA Iceman two twenty-one, glass pool mimic foil extended arts at six dollars uh, keep in mind that my general target in on a foil rare extended art that looks like it's going to see significant plays usually like eight to ten dollars is pretty fine when you get down into these like one to six dollar versions you are betting against the existing knowledge in the market um, but i think in this case it might be justified we just saw that this card placed second in the modern challenge um, and was in another deck in that top eight as well of there was a different build so I guess Glasspool Mimic is just modern playable, in which case, you know, is it that different than a Thassa's Oracle, which is currently a $40 foil extended art nine months later? Um, I think calling, you know, him calling Glasspool Mimic extended art foils to go say six to 15 within a year is completely reasonable uh, if it keeps putting up results. And if it's good enough for modern, it probably should just be played in a lot of decks in EDH as well. Uh, it's currently in 1000 so far. Um, for Zendikar Rising, and interesting side note here, I was taking a look, uh, doing the research for this card uh, on EDHREC, and I it struck me that in the last week, they have collected a lot more data on Zendikar Rising, um, and I think that I asked Jason in the Discord, Jason Alt uh, of Brainstorm Brewery and EDHREC and MTG Price, uh, whether you know, are they collecting more data, or they have a new data source, um, or they've changed how they're handling stats, or is it just that Zendikar Rising has so many good cards for EDH that there is an accelerated number of cards reported being used? Because there are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15... 16. There are 16 cards from Xenekar Rising that already have a thousand plus decks reported on EDH rec, and some of them have two thousand. Wow. Like Ancient Green Warden is already in 1789 decks reported. Feed the Swarm, the first black targeted enchantment removal, 1560 decks already. valakut Awakening that I called uh uh, shortly ago 1553 decks side story on that card i opened three extended art foils in my german boxes they were all heavily miscut like basically they all came off the same sheet um, hmm. pretty sexy we've got phylath world sculptor in over a thousand scoot swarms in almost 2000 Balaged recoveries in 1500 um yeah, all furry of Akum in almost 1500 already Roiling Regrowth, one of the best Uncommons at 1400, Sky- Thieving Skydiver in four- almost 1400, Ashaya, Soul of the Wild, same deal, Seagate Restoration at 1000, Agademes is closing in on 1000, Glasspool Mimic at 1000, Like, I've been saying to people in the Discord, this set is chock-a-block full, because it has 20 Mythics, 5 of which are the flip Mythic DFCs, all of which are going to see some degree of play, even the white and the red ones. You know, Focus on the Saltite ones by all means, but Honestly, all of them. The flip pathways are probably undervalued long term. They're going to see plenty of EDH play and they look like they're relevant in at least a handful of decks in Pioneer. They also have fantastic art. Scoot Swarm's a mover, laugh Feed the Swarm, Felidar Retreat, uh, and then some of the lesser rare and uncommon DFCs all have very open ended synergy. And I think the biggest, one of the big factors here, is that a lot of... Like, Landfall is not a very narrow mechanic. Landfall is relatively easy to make work in a lot of EDH decks. <laughs> yeah. This, I mean, if you're playing green, you're pretty much right Especially there. when they keep giving us new Crucible of Worlds, which is yeah, know, which is basically what Ancient Green Warden it's like, is. It's like every other set, you yeah. get one. So, I mean, in a world where most... A lot of decks in EDH can work around, work with landfall. Cards that are built around lands matters tend to matter. And lands that have utility like flip utility that just give you options tend to matter. It's the definition of open-ended synergy. Duels are always useful, even if the pathways are only the like eighth, eighth or ninth best set of duels you could use. They're still gonna get bought just because they're available and within a reasonable price range. And if you're building at a middle if you're aiming for a middle powered edh deck or you're building your seventh or eighth and you don't have any more revised duels to throw into it and you don't want to move them over people are just going to throw pathways yep. in just because the you know it's slightly worse than normal so all of this leads me to believe that zenika rising could be one of the deepest sets we've seen since war of the spark yeah
1: this is doing real good and it actually uh brings up a good question is what is the price on those uh vip packs
0: uh you that? mean the collector boosters is that
1: yeah, whatever. So we we just them. did that a. Seems like there could be an We just
0: did a group buy last week for some around eleven $1, fifty a case, so under two hundred dollars a box. I saw eBay get as low as one ninety one in the last two weeks, and then got bought back up to about two ten, and that seems to be the bottom of the market at present. But I could easily, so, I, mean, I can easily see an argument that the Zendikar Rising collector boosters a year out to eighteen months are going to be three hundred plus. With that level of popularity,
1: uh, it doesn't seem unreasonable. That is a very deep pool of cards. Um, you know, I don't see any of that stuff getting banned in EDH. Really, it's just a bunch of cool stuff. And why and you've got all the dual flip cards and whatnot in there, and you know, why pick any one specific when You can just get the sealed product that you know is going to do going to do very well. There's, um,
0: there's a little bit of a drag from the fact that we know we're getting enemy fetches again in Modern Horizons two. And so there's probably either a foil box topper, AKA VIP treatment, or there's a foil extended art treatment vis-a-vis uh, collector booster formulation. Either way, it's basically, you know, one and the same. And it will, you know, people are, would be more prone to chasing, cracking, collecting Zendikar collector boosters if that was not the case. You know, giving them to us again, those, those same fetches for the third time in a year is a lot um yeah so yeah we'll we'll see how that unfolds but having just opened russian non-foil expeditions (laughs) boy are they nice and i got german foil scalding turn misty rainforest etc out of my german boxes i have nothing to complain about and they look great like i I like them better than the original expeditions in terms of the frames Um, the non-foils i don't know if you've handled them yet but they have a uh, like gloss a spot gloss, so even the non-foil cards have a little bit of a premium treatment on them. In the borders, oh. so like for instance, on Prismatic Vista, there's there are some yellow, uh, geometric shapes in the right and left border that are spot glossed.
1: Oh, that's mm-hmm. kind of cool. Um, yeah. So I just said the Panafields, right? Ra- you know, the radar is a pack, the the sealed product. I think that's at least worth taking a look at it, depending on what position you're in um yeah, as for Glasspool mimic itself i mean i think all of the the lands here the dual flip extended arts are probably a reasonable choice and it's just a question of timing the bottom on them really like that's that's the only tricky part here if you even care to go that the far the other
0: one that's in a similar position uh is, well in uncommons malakir rebirth but in rares, Hagra Mauling. Because Hagra Mauling is the one that Oops All Spells in both Pioneer and Modern tends to run as a four of. That's the one that says destroy target creature and costs one less if an opponent has all non-basics in play. Mm-hmm. So that's probably on the same level as Glass pull Mimic would be, my guess. Pretty close sure. to it. It's only in yeah, 540 decks so far in EDH Rec, but... Uh, so... I think it's reasonable to say that Glasspool Mimic has the edge so far, but that one can't be too far behind.
1: Yeah, I, it doesn't... It's, yes, I would agree that they're probably all pretty fine choices. Um, Okay, uh, segment four, our Collector's Corner, we wanted to talk about some of our favorite basic lands here. Uh, a stable which has filled out really considerably since, oh, about five years ago. It wasn't that long ago... That there, you know, you were just picking a one of four printings from any of the given sets. Obviously, everyone's answer was unhinged, but you know, could afford seventy dollars islands. Uh, so you went digging deep in the various sets, but now Wizards has really spoiled us.
0: And here's the thing: there are at least twenty pieces of art in Magic's history that have only appeared on regular Magic cards. That if you frame all the art at the same size and set it up in a gallery somewhere many of them would deserve to be on this list and would become there's probably 20 30 40 50 pieces of art in the history of magic that could be debated as the best basics you can run but i'm just at the point now where there is enough full art versions of lands available that are fantastic that you don't really I prefer that because I think that from table feel perspective, especially since I'm playing a lot of webcam EDH, being able to clearly distinguish a land from something else is very useful at a distance. Um, so I find that I'm running more full art basics than I was before. Looking at you, dry at Arbor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that doesn't hurt. Um so I'm just going to flag a few here and maybe we'll double back on I'm sure people will give us some feedback in the discord next this week about, you know, what about this? What about that? Maybe we'll bring some of those up, uh, make a list and bring some of them up further down the road. Cause there are some real classics from, you know, Mirage and Invasion era and so forth. There are some foil seventh basics that are really nice. Um, but these are just my personal favorites that I find that, uh, I've, I've made a point of acquiring enough of that I can throw them in decks whenever I want to. First one is the unstable island. Um, I actually like it better than the John Avon Unhinged Island. Um, this is the one that it shows the sea in the foreground, and then in the midground there is a small mountain, and in the in the mist in the background there's a much taller peak. It looks gorgeous and non-foil, gorgeous in foil. It has a nice pleasant sky blue to it that really screams I am an island and not some other thing. Um, Like this taps for blue. And I think it is a overall more interesting composition than the original John Avon, which was kind of a weird shot out of the side of a Cessna flying over like CIA reconnaissance mission kind of angle. It is like three-quarter isometric top-down view on an island versus this fully considered portrait of an island that is very clearly designed for uh, a portrait orientation. Um, and I think that matters. Like the, the best card art is going to be when the, the destination format is considered. Um, there's There's a lot of stuff in Magic where they make really wide kind of classical art, and then they try to make it work on Magic cards, and it often, things get lost in translation. And I think the best example of that, as we referred to last week, is the Amonkhet Invocations, where I've said many times, the art for that subset is really great. Some of the best art in Magic's history. And it's a shame because you don't really ever get to explore the details of a lot of it because of how small it seemed on those cards. Um, For instance, the Titus Lunter, I believe, Wrath of God art is absolutely stunning. But most people have never, you know, ever considered what it actually is depicting because they can't see it on the card. (laughs) Yeah.
1: The, um, I do like the Unstable Islands quite a bit. Uh, I, I think full art, I would agree with you completely that in terms of like, Sitting at a table what feels good to have in front of you. It's all pretty much always going to be full art lands they just they they're stark compared to the other cards. They're Absolutely saturated with color in a way that the other cards typically aren't Um, I do like them quite a bit and they're kind of like my go-to for uh, You know, I need to fill out some basic slots in my deck and I don't have enough of whatever else with me uh, So that works Um, Definitely a fan of those. I think this Unstable Island is quite good. I will deviate from in one regard and say that I think the best land consideration really is, uh, full art aside, how it looks when you can only see the left third of it. Because the way players stack their lands, you tend to see... Roughly the left third of the artwork. Um, so if you have art that really works or that has a lot of color, or looks interesting in that sliver versus another card that doesn't, uh, that can make a difference that it's hard to appreciate until you see it.
0: Um, just a tiny little feature. That's an interesting consideration for sure. Um, so on in terms of foil islands, surprise myself, by discovering the full art foil island number 271 out of the Zendikar Rising Collector Boosters. It's funny because with Battle for Zendikar and Zendikar before it, full art basics were such a big deal. And I remember that the full art foil Russian basics that I pulled out of Battle for Zendikar boxes were going for 15, 20, 25 bucks at one point. And, you know, they were underwriting regular boxes by a significant portion. But no one made really any... I didn't see anybody talking about these ones from Zendikar Rising, despite the fact that there's a handful that are really good. This number 271 with the Whirlpool in foil, one of the best foil full art lands ever in Magic, for sure. Looks incredible in hand. And definitely going to be finding reason to put 10 of these in a deck somewhere.
1: Yeah, those those are nifty. I like those. It's a different design on island with the whirlpool from what we're used to uh, but I do like that effect I think it looks cool um, I the border is not my favorite I actually really hate the way that it curves up at the top and not at the bottom um, that lack of symmetry just like hits my eye every time uh, but I can accept that that's a, a personal burden
0: yeah I'm not I'm not super thrilled with that the way the designer shows to have those borders connect up top either but i can live with it because the what i like about this island is the focal point is dead center and it has like a lot of dynamic motion going on like this is a tremendously effective rendition of a whirlpool and compared to the very cartoony uh, cups in the sky that people were really hot for in a previous incarnation of this subset uh, I think this is a a much more uh, much more disconnected from the aesthetic of Zendikar, and therefore a little bit more uh, all-purpose in terms of throwing it into a deck.
1: You didn't like the the cups? I think the, could... the
0: new cups I really don't like the one. There is a number two seventy in this subset that is more cups, and I don't like it. The old cup one I liked, yeah. but I definitely like the World Pro. Whirlpool more. I think the blues are very rich, and I think it shares that with the Unstable Island. Yes, a lot of um, saturation.
1: I, I didn't. I didn't love the cops, but I. I understood them. I, I. I got it. I got why people liked it. Uh this is the the whirlpool is solid. Um, this I think actually runs afoul of what the comment I was just making. The art is—you're absolutely correct. I love the way it's centered and dynamic and deviates from the typical design that you see um, in full art uh, in, in in land representation. But I think if I'm only looking at the left edge of it, it just looks like messy. Yeah. I'm holding my hand up to my monitor. You can't see it. I don't know. It's fine. The left third rule
0: rule being some kind of strange uh, evolution of the law of thirds in photography is definitely not something I was expecting to have on the table. And I would, I might, if I was choosing through that lens specifically, I'm sure I could come up with something that works within those exact parameters.
1: Yeah. And I will say that I don't consider, I have not considered my cards from that perspective. I just think of it as like, a, oh yeah, this is something that I notice. I have noticed with other lands, like, oh, this looks great when I put it in front of me, but when it's folded underneath the other cards in a stack, it doesn't hold up as well. But it's such a weird thing to complain about. Uh, I do like this land, though.
0: I think All right, cool. what's your, uh,
1: your first pick? So mine is basically a set. Um, I went through and figured this out years ago, uh, and my rule... Was that I wanted foil old borders, which not everyone is going to be uh, on board with, and that's fine. Um, and I freely admit that some of these other lands at the end of the day probably overall, quote unquote, look better. I think the which we'll call it your un, the unstable island, the unstable full arts are very good, um, and would probably be my go to otherwise. Uh, but I wanted foil old borderlands because to me they were what i wanted they were what i wanted so uh, i have a set of five and they're split between invasion and seventh edition and i think four of them are john avon john avon never did a good mountain if memory serves me uh or i may know he did a good mountain but it didn't show up until eighth edition so it did not appear an old border. Uh, but they are, no one. I can read the numbers off. No one's going to know what these are without seeing them. But it's uh, the 7th Edition Island, number 334, 7th Edition Swamp, 348, uh, Invasion Forest, 347, Invasion Plains, 331, and Invasion Mountain, 345. So you guys can look those up uh, if you really care. Uh, the prices on these, on the non uh, the blue the islands are like 20 bucks now, I think, if they were even in stock. The hmm, swamps or the forests are like 20, the plains and this other one are like 10, and then the mountains are like five, but the supply is real low on all of them. Um, and I used to try and grab them one V2Zs when I was shopping. What was really annoying was back when um I was buying these. The stores didn't have the uh set numbers lined up correctly i don't know if they just didn't they weren't really bothering to sort them at the time very well so you would just have like foil island from invasion and they'd have like 14 copies but you wouldn't know which collector's edition you were getting so i had to email stores to ask them which ones were which and only, i only want this collector's edition um but i have a set of all of these that i really like and they're my go-to cool basic land. But again, I don't have enough of these to cover all of my bases, not even all my EDH decks. So i if I start putting decks together again anytime soon, I would probably go buy the, uh, the Unstable Lands, I think. Just from a matter of the pure burst of color that I like. Which is interesting, because I loathe the Theros Lands, <laughs> those full art things. Um, but the Unstable ones were great.
0: Did you consider Invasion... Island 337? Uh,
1: let me have look. If <laughs> memory serves me, there were... Island had some
0: great choices. G- generally uh, generally considered one, to be the uh, best of the invasion islands. Unfortunately, it's by your nemesis, Therese Nielsen.
1: <sighs> yeah, uh, I mean, this is fine, but I don't think it's remarkable. In it's any really way. nice and foil. Uh, I I guess, but, you know, in these old versions, there's no... Uh, the art isn't foil, so it's not like you're getting that angle. So I'm curious why this... I don't know. It's fine. uh, Genuinely, the art is fine, and Teresa Nelson's a piece of crap, so who cares?
0: Yeah, fair. You said 337, right? Yep, 337.
1: Where it's like the the rocky outcropping on the left side? With the uh, palm trees, yeah. Yeah, see, now I would expect, if I had to guess... Which one was the most popular from Invasion? i might have guessed uh, th- maybe not 338. 336 is kinda cool too. There's so many to pick from. I think if you go out if you if you go into non old border, the pool expands significantly.
0: That's Swamp 7th Edition 348. Yeah, I'm partial to that. That's got some really nice lighting. Um darker in the foreground, lighter in the background. And the Plains 331 from Invasion with the wheat field, also quite nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's funny that you say that Avon never made a good mountain. Uh, let's see if you like this one. Because my go to non foil mountain is definitely the unhinged fo- full art mountain that he made with the uh, rosy red sky, uh, the darker mountains and lake in the foreground, and the uh, partially shadowed, taller mountains in the midground. It's got some good depth. It's got some nice negative space up top. It's—he did a great job of making this feel like a something that taps for red. That glow in the sky is lovely. You're not fond of this?
1: Okay, what? Which one was this? This again? is
0: unhinged mountain. If you just search unhinged John Avon Mountain, you'll find it oh yeah i mean that one's fantastic yeah. but it's not old border sure oh, okay so that okay gotcha that that is so, yeah cool. it's 139 i believe yeah 130 139 in a hinge uh yes yeah. 139
1: yes that is that is excellent there is a lot of really good land art i was specifically looking and if i'm not mistaken the these were these stuff?
0: just reprinted in we we just got these in double masters right the full art uh, mountains.
1: Which what? Uh, what? Mm. Let me just double I check that. Tell you. I don't know if they put
0: those in there. Uh, mountain 319. Pretty sure I just pulled a whole bunch of these. Add double masters. Geez, the way the TCG player has their set name lists organized on the left side is... Uh, pretty confusing right now they like have it alphabetical but they have multiple alphabetical lists yeah these were just reprinted in double master so they're like pretty yeah. cheap right now i think you can get them about a buck buck a piece and you know foils are down to three dollars see no reason to hold off on those i mean and same goes the swamps are also great lots of people love this island as you said these islands used to be worth a, a mint and now even the island 375 from double masters which is the Unhinged Avon reprint is five bucks. Five to six bucks. Oh, okay.
1: I um, forgot what I was going to tell you. I think that there's a lot of good options if you are willing to look at, uh, if you don't care about border treatments, and given how annoying some of the cool land treatments are, or uh, how annoying finding the older stuff is, that having something a little newer to, to go with for your random commander decks and what have you is a good idea. Um, because anyone who's got a handful of commander decks... And plays, you know, has a competitive deck or two, sleeves up, and what have you, quickly finds themselves running out of options. And if you're paying $25 a land when you're going that route, it can get really pricey. So, having a non foil, uh, you know, cheap basic you can pick up for yourself is uh, pretty much necessary.
0: Yeah. So, my my final pick uh, for this collector's corner is another full art mountain from Xenokar Rising, this time number 277, which is. Decidedly not a mountain in the classical sense, but does have a, especially in foil, a very inception esque kind of crazy perspective thing going on. Because, of course, uh, on Zendikar, you have all these floating objects in the sky, and this has this cre- kind of, you're seeing this small portion of this much larger uh, panoramic, I imagine, and you're seeing it from a very oblique angle. And this card just looks, it is a total stunner in foil. And I think you can get them for 50 cents or something right now in TCG player. Total no brainer. If you could, you can get, you know, 20 of them for 10 bucks and have your red deck tricked out. Yeah, that is a, that
1: is a cool looking card. Um, so I, I agree with you. I, I, I tend to like my lands soaking with color uh, so so they're easily identifiable no matter what they're sitting under or next to but i think the art in that is quite cool very very dramatic in a way that a lot
0: of the land art isn't yeah i agree that the saturation on the avon mountain is much higher and uh, so yeah either or there's all, all of my options here and most are so cheap right now that people can hardly go wrong yeah yep all right, so that um, uh, wraps up Collector's Corner. Let's move on to topic of the week: early favorites from Commander Legends. Let's uh, see what stuff jumped out at Travis as he was perusing the now legal uh, set of reveals from content creators over the last couple of days. Uh, I mean,
1: I had a similar reaction to pretty much everyone else. That one card, Opposition Agent, seems silly. Busted. <laughs> um, at, oh, like it's, it's just I kind of remember reading it and just kind of shaking my head. And I think that this is a type of card that it might be worth snagging the full art foils of this early on, which always feels bad. But like this card, it's hard to imagine building a black deck that you don't want this in. Like it's just such a savage beating against so many people. And what are the odds your opponents are going to have no search effects in their deck? I mean, it's it's hideous i i hate it
0: i'm hoping that europe doesn't get the memo here because whatever is going to happen with thieving skydiver extended art foils which should get cheap in europe once they finally get their inventory in the next couple of weeks please let the same thing happen with opposition agent because to me it's the same kind of card but of an even higher level of general utility um or at least has been received as a card that is significantly better Here's the thing, art in this card, eh. Not loving the art. Kind of wish it was different art for a card that we're going to see a lot of play for a while.
1: Yeah, this is clearly someone who uh, drew a human face for the first time three weeks ago. It's Yeah, it's rough. Uh, And I I feel bad for uh, saying that if... Scott Murphy used his girlfriend or wife for a model. I'm sorry, but he did not do your likeness any favors here. <laughs> it, what's well,
0: true across the whole it, the whole piece just feels rushed to me, and just also not particularly inspired. You know, it's a an agent, see a, a spy um, that's like knocked a guy out in an alley and is like looking at some papers. It's just the most basic rendition of what what could be happening here. And if I'm running art direction at Watsi, I would be thinking, okay, which of these cards is likely to see the most play? especially in our new darling format commander and make sure it gets you order up some fantastic art for it so let's talk about this card i think the big thing here with this thing is that it has flash as so many of the people
1: what this do by the the yeah two and a black for a
0: three two flash human rogue you control your opponents while they're searching their libraries (laughs) while an opponent is searching their library they exile each card they find You may play those cards for as long as they remain exiled, and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast them. So basically, because it has flash, that makes a big, big difference. Because you can respond to tutoring effects and um, fetch lands and so forth, and steal the search, and then rack it up for you to cast or play on your own when you feel like it. The, the most savage part of this, I,
1: the the fact that you can play them is secondary. Like, that's almost irrelevant. Someone goes, you know, whatever, tooth and nail, and you just go, oh, actually, those that combo kill you were going to go get, those cards are just gone from your deck entirely. Or uh, they crack, you know, they, they search for a couple lands or something, Um, with whatever effect, and you're just like, no, we're just going to exile those instead. They just lose access to the cards. It's so annoying. And there will be situations where someone pulls off some effect that allows them to search multiple things, and you just exile their damn deck. Or a huge swath of their available card pool. Um, Like, can you imagine casting this with, uh, what is that? that those uh, those temptation spells like there was like that green one that's like tempted to discovery or something like that where like you get to search for a bunch of stuff and then another player can choose (laughs) to search for that and so you like cast one of that and bait somebody into a green with it and then you're just opposition agent and you're like okay i'm gonna get 12 lands and i'm gonna exile half the your mana yeah
0: and i've thinned out your decks to the point where good luck finding any land for the rest of the game Mm -hmm.
1: Right. And even if it's just sitting, uh, aside from the one-time blowout effect, like just having to sit on the battlefield is so obnoxious because now everyone's search effects are just dead, which is just really yeah. aggravating until you manage to kill this. And and if you start pairing this with cards in your deck to exile things that then let the player search for stuff like path to exile and stuff like that, it gets more annoying.
0: Um and, and I don't, it just it does a lot of work I, I can't stress enough how the flash really matters here too because this thing is kill <laughs> on site and if they hadn't given it flash it would still be a very playable card but people would the first time you cast it, it would probably just get killed before you got before anybody got to do anything with it but the fact that it has flash lets you get one surprise getcha gotcha in before they do anything else and then in the yeah. decks that are really going to make the best use of it like picture in my muldrotha deck I get to bring a permanent of this casting cost back to my graveyard every turn. So <laughs> if I've got indestructible on Muldrotha or a lightning greaves or something and I, you know, he's safely in play for a while, good luck stopping me from putting this in over and over again.
1: Yeah, it's it, It's going to go, it, it's going to shut some decks off. It's going to annoy the hell out of some people and it won't do anything against some others, but it's going to be very good at aggravating your opponent's uh and and keeping you safe and slowing down all sorts of obnoxious behavior that you might not like i just it just seems like you're getting a lot of value for 3 mana here
0: people when we were planning oh. things out for commander legends in the discord we've been telling everybody you know you're you're looking for forget about pirates sub themes and all that nonsense stuff with Kark. like yes if you're holding some stuff that's relevant like a circ thumb you might be able to get out of it while the going getting is good but you definitely want to sell that this weekish, you don't want to be betting that the crocs thing is going to be continue a continual meme that people are going to lean into for a while but you don't need to worry about opposition agent this is this card is as close to a smothering tide a cyclonic rift um you know a thieving skydiver just a general utility card that will fit in tons of different decks and certain decks certain commanders will be able to make extra use of it
1: yeah which is why um marilyn took off because Marilyn replaces everyone's draw with a tutor. And then you just take their tutor and exile the card instead. So it locks everyone out of having a draw step. Or even just draw in general, I think. Because it's just whatever. Players can't draw cards, yeah. And then instead of drawing, they tutor. So you just take their tutor with it, with this opposition agent and then that's it. Yeah, we're
0: talking about uh, Marilyn. Of the Morton yeah.
1: Yeah, Marilyn. So I don't think Marilyn's a good commander. I don't think her... She's not going to be a commander people are going to want to play with just because of opposition agent. But they will, however, play they will if they're going to play opposition agent they might just stick marilyn in their deck anyways because this combo of those is essentially a hard lock and it's very easy to assemble
0: especially if if they have if it's say a reanimation deck if it's a deck that's going to knock a bunch of creatures into its own graveyard and then get them back into play in configurations that are game-winning combo based um Mm -hmm. in which case bringing back say marilyn and opposition opposition agent is a completely reasonable game plan yep
1: so that was the that was the big one to me Um, What was your opinion on the latest cards here?
0: Yeah, there's a there's it's this is looking like a solid set. Let's just say that we've barely gotten into spoiler season. Um, We know there's some pretty key reprints here. Vampiric Tutor was revealed, um, which means that you're definitely not getting Imperial Tutor here. So that card is safe for a while. Um, You're not getting Demonic Tutor here. You know we're getting the diamonds back from Mirage Block. Which are the enters the battlefield tapped, two mana mana rocks. Uh, super reasonable mana rocks to have in you know mono and two color decks in a lot of cases. So people will be thrilled to get those in foil extended art. Um, three visits is getting uh, a printing here. Um, a portal card, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah, the... some other stuff that jumped out at me. Opposition Agent's a big deal. Kadoma of the East Tree looking pretty busted and can you read that one for our listeners yeah let me just track it down here the Kadoma of the east tree basically says that when you put a permanent into play and it wasn't as a result of this effect you get to check your hand find something with equal or lower casting costs i believe and put it into play so that there's a lot of ways to abuse that card that aren't super obvious at first glance. First of all, it doesn't, at least in the translation we've seen so far, and it was revealed in German, so we're not a hundred percent. Whenever another permanent enters the battlefield under your control, if it wasn't put onto the battlefield with this ability, you may put a permanent card with an equal or lesser converted mana cost from your hand onto the battlefield. It also has partner and reach, and it costs six, which is nothing in green um it doesn't say non-token so if you put tokens into play with whatever bitter blossom it sounds like you can put a land into play from your hand so this does lots of work and i definitely have questions about you know, how many amazing five, six, seven, eight drops in green can exist in this format without them all kind of pushing each other into edge cases? Um, but <laughs> because we just got a Shia, we just got Ancient Green Warden, Nyx Bloom Agent Ancient this year. At a certain point, they start to t- like tug on each other's popularity. But. This is still a very powerful card, and it having partner means this can be your commander with some other random thing from this set. And I'm sure there's going to be so many different ways to abuse that over time. Yeah, that's this card
1: is uh, pretty gross. It's like a pseudo cascade out of your hand. Like it's kind of weird how this is designed. But you can, uh, if I understood this, and uh, what's his name, Jason pointed this out. But you can play a bounce land. Then that ability triggers. You can put another land from your hand into play, and then the bounce trigger resolves, and you put the bounce land back in your hand, and now you can do it again. So, if you, if you, for every land drop you have, you can. Oh, no, this is not right. There was something else he had. Some combo with this that, like, allows you to do some stupid
0: crap. He, he was talking was about, just, I think, Carew like, lands and token producers.
1: Oh, maybe that's what it was. Yeah, that sounds about right. Because the Karoo land comes into play. No, the token comes into play, creates a trigger. You put the Karoo land in the play, which creates a token. You resolve the Karoo trigger. It bounces back to your hand the second token now effect resolves and allows you to put a land back into your hand. So that's what it is. You can go infinite with Karu lands and uh, tokens. Let's put it
0: this way. Every time somebody tables this against you in commander, they're going to have some smart ass new way to abuse it. And you're going to be like, Oh, cool. <laughs> and then yeah. it's going to beat your uh, ass. Uh, you figured it out. Good job, buddy. So, uh, there's also, um, Magus of the order c- providing finally the green, uh, version of the Magus cycle. Um, not quite natural order that's for sure it's two green green for a three three you have to pay a green sack it and sack another green creature and then you get to search your library for one green creature and put it into the battlefield still a playable card um, if it didn't have the tap it would be more exciting because it has to survive yeah. a turn cycle to pull this off and you're, you're yeah everyone knows what you're about <laughs> that whatever you're about to pull out is not going to be good for the table
1: this card honestly doesn't seem good to me. And maybe, maybe I, I'm. It just seems like this is already power crapped. Like this would have been good in uh, like four or five years ago, but already this seems like it is not keeping up with the rest of the format. For and it's what only it, a, a rare. It's supposed to be completing the cycle.
0: Yeah, and it's only a rare, so not no reason yeah, to be yeah, super super excited about chasing it. And uh, it's set that I expect to be pretty heavily opened. Uh, assuming that they can sur- solve their supply issues, which is not immediately apparent, actually. Um, right. We are looking at Sphinx of the Second Sun is another one of the ones where they got pretty tricky with the wording here to, to generate a, a very unique effect. Um, this is the Sphinx for eight. I think it's six and two blue. And w- after your main phase you get a new beginning part of your turn. Yeah, at the beginning of your post combat main phase, you get an additional beginning phase after this phase. I'm not sure I knew that there was even that the wording beginning phase even existed, but that includes your untap upkeep and draw phase. Draw, yeah. So you go untap upkeep draw, do stuff in your main phase, then before combat, you get to untap everything no, again. No. Do nope. any upkeep effects, triggers nope. it in your upkeep, and then draw another nope. card. No. It's post
1: combat main phase. Okay,
0: after your after your combat. Okay, so right. So you get the start of your turn, main phase combat, then your you basically get all of that all over again. Minus Star, the second start combat. Of your, yeah. Start of your
1: turn, main phase combat, start of your turn, main phase. No combat. Turns over. Yeah.
0: yeah. So um, the, the big, it's nifty. At, at eight mana, obviously not a big deal. But you're just gonna re you're just gonna dump this in the graveyard and reanimate it.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, yes. And at which point it's like, yeah, whatever. You what card don't you do that with? You know, um, that threat exists for all these types of cards. But for sure, you know, eh, it's a cool effect. But like Seedborn Muse and those cards are five mana, and they give you the untap, which is mostly what you want out of this and those give it to you every turn sure but one of those got banned already in edh well so right uh, i guess my my point is that the power level seems to be on the untapping and those costs and the one that's still legal costs five this costs eight you get a little more for it but i don't know you really have to be making the untap work work for you i think that's what um
0: i think this card is interesting i think there are decks that can abuse it I, it's not doesn't have the level of ubiquity versus something like an opposition agent, so I don't see any reason to be chasing this. But if I open one in my collector boosters, I'm sure I will try to find a home for it just because it's a fun little puzzle to solve. And that's smart. Giving EDH players fresh little puzzles to solve in their decks is, is what makes it a hobby as much of the game.
1: Yeah, this, I think the design on this is much more interesting than something like Opposition Agent. Opposition Agent is just such a a blunt force object, whereas this is like, oh, this is kind of nifty. Like, how can I make use of this to do fun things? Um, and that's always been what EDH is about. So uh, certainly a more interesting card than some of the other options that we've seen.
0: I guess one of the, the really obvious specs here uh, alongside Opposition Agent is that the Battle Bond dual land cycle is being completed here. So you're getting fresh five duels that for sure, whatever their lows are, you go ahead and pick them up because unlike the Expeditions, um, like Luxury Suite and whatever, that are getting their second printing and uh, first premium version, these are getting you know first premium, first regular version all at once. And they're going to probably get two, three, four years to appreciate in that mode. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think the big
1: mythic artifact sucks. He's not interested. Phyrexian Triniform? Yeah. It's not, just not That's a not
0: 9, 9 for 9. And when it dies, you create three 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 3, 3 colorless golem artifact creature tokens. And then Encore 12. You pay 12, exile the card from your graveyard, and for each opponent... Create a token copy that attacks that opponent this turn, if able, of the 9-9. They gain haste, and you sack them at the beginning of the end step. So you basically have a 9-9. When it dies, you get 3 three threes. Later, you pay 12. You get, say, everybody's still in the game. You get 3 nine nines. Then they die. And then you get 9 three threes. Yeah. Which is fun. Tell me. Which is fun.
1: Yeah. It, it, it'll be fine at lower power decks, lower power tables, where people, like build edh decks out of the cards they own and somebody just pulls this out of a pile type of thing um it's fine for that uh but i don't think that it's particularly good for anyone who plays edh for anyone who is able to put whatever most cards they want into an edh deck i don't think it's interesting Uh, Uh, i'll
0: I'll tell you the commander that jumped out at me that i want to play the most so far yeah lisa shroud of dusk two double white black five five legendary creature angel Rather than pay two mana for each previous time you've cast a spell from the command zone this game, pay two life that many times. Flying lifelink, whenever a player casts a spell, they lose two life. Oh boy. Having just built Loro, and being familiar with all of the uh, ebb and flow, you know, life as cost life as penalty when you lose when when opponents lose you gain when they gain when you gain they lose etc etc all that stuff kind of fits in here too and this 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 commander will be fun to build around because that the last part whenever a player casts a spell they lose two life accelerates the game that's just nice in general to have a commander at the table that's pushing people to the brink not at any kind of reckless pace but She's also going to be in play a lot more often because you're not paying mana. You're just paying life and you're it, presumably you're set up to abuse that by having lots of life. And yeah, this, this looks fun. Uh,
1: yeah, I think that's cool. The, the tax on that is, is potent. Um, and it's going to annoy the hell out of everyone at the table. Cause that two life is going to eat people real quick. Um, and being black, white plays into some life gain stuff. Uh, which means that you can probably pay to put this thing into, you can probably pay five mana for this thing every single time because you can keep your life total quite high. Um, I like the new, we uh, Averna, blooming chaos. It's the rug commander. Well, while, while you cascade, you may put a land exiled this way onto the battlefield tapped. Like that's just cool. Like I like Cascade. I like putting lands in the play this is a fun little card and it also doesn't feel like stupidly busted um you know you kind of have to work a little bit for it and i've always found cascade fun especially in edh where the uh variance is even higher it's a
0: little annoying that she doesn't have cascade herself
1: yeah yeah
0: but i i yeah i get you you're probably that you're probably you. gonna you're probably gonna want to have to you're gonna have to work around that a bit like there's a little bit of work to be done to build the deck correctly to make sure that you can still take advantage but again a puzzle to solve <laughs> that's I, I don't know what else you can ask for from a set like this other than a, them giving us a bunch of puzzle cards while at the same time just giving us some like just straight up obvious uh, um, duplication of effects that we see seems like we see a lot of for instance. A.S.E., Tyrant of the Epicycle. Um, That might be a poor translation. Four green-blue, legendary creature serpent, five-five. You may play an additional land during each of your turns. And whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, draw a card. So that just, like, all the Saltire, or blue-green or Omnath lands-matters decks, just slot that right in there. And it's a mythic. So it's going to see plenty of play.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that white guy, the keeper of the court, is pretty solid. He's not new. Um, where At the beginning of each opponent's end step, you create 1-1 soldiers if someone has more creatures than you, and you get to um, basically rampant growth if they someone has more lands than you. Uh, but like it's, it's, at the beginning, it's the end of each opponent's end step and if it's that player. So for instance, if you're in a four-player pod and all three players have more mana than you, you get to rampant growth three times in one turn cycle, which is pretty unlikely to happen, but it's very good at keeping your board position fair. So that's pretty cool.
0: Tevish Zot, Doom of Fools, has Sick Art, um, and conceptually looks interesting, and because he has Commander, I'm sure there will be interesting options for this card moving forward. Um, I don't know who I want to partner this with yet, but I'm certainly interested in finding out. Planeswalker for five, four and a black. Uh... Plus two, create two zero one black thrull creature tokens, which is a nice throwback for those of us that were around during Fallen Empires and Ice Age. Plus one, you may sacrifice another creature, or Planeswalker. If you do, draw two cards, then draw another card if the sacrifice permanent was a commander. So <laughs> you can have a partner that he constantly betrays, which is kind of fun. And then minus 10, gain control of all commanders. Put all commanders from the command zone onto, onto the battlefield under your control. <laughs> That's too fun. Mm-hmm. He's
1: amusing. He's amusing because he's a planeswalker so commander,
0: so you can damnation the board if if your opponents are all playing creature commanders, you damnation them out of existence and then bring them all back with this minus ten.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's he's nifty for sure, um, and doesn't seem overly powerful, which is good. Because uh, yeah, um, so overall, some decent cards here. I think there's definitely. Some sub themes that are likely to fall a little flat, like the pirates, but certainly some standouts that are going to uh, are going to stand the test of time here.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that this set is going to be breaking bulk central down the road. This this feels to me like War of the Spark or Dominaria, where you're going to have all these uncommons that buy list for more than you think they do, and probably leads me away for wanting to have as much of this in uh, a foreign language as, a, as opposed to english i was pretty happy to get japanese or german boxes of zendikar rising collector boosters because most of the value is in the expeditions and doesn't matter if those are in a foreign language um in fact in many cases it's better i have you know i figured out that russian expeditions are single digit thousands in the world um Whereas, you know, obscure partner, uncommon partner commander X with like 17 lines of text is not the greatest to be trying to resell in German. No, no, uh, that doesn't seem like a a good game. Even the people who
1: memorize their cards, sometimes that stuff can, you can forget the definition.
0: Yeah. Uh, Demonic knowledge is an uncommon that I don't recall existing before. It looks a little like treacherous blessing out of Theros Beyond Death. Um, it's two in a black, you draw three cards when it comes into play. So just straight Ancestral Recalls off of two and a black. And then at the beginning of your end step, you lose two life for each card in your hand. Mm-hmm. But again, you could be playing that in a deck where, like Alora, where you get two life at the start of every turn, no matter what. So that doesn't really matter much. And three cards for three in black is about about normal.
1: I mean, I presume the strategy there is you play it and then sacrifice it. Or, or uh, play it so and blink it. To it. Or use the new dude and give it away. Sure. Yeah. Which is, a, he's, a, he's a cool commander, by the way. I like him quite a bit. He's uh, basically the reverse um, Zedru and does something a little different in Black Red than we're used to seeing, which I like that he's kind of got a different angle to him. Because Rakdos is a fun color combination that needs a little bit of help in uh, in Commander.
0: This looks like a reasonable partner, maybe for Tevishat Keskit, the Flesh Sculptor, Two in a Black for a one-three, legendary creature, human artificer, really uh cool Phyrexian art, Tap Sack three other artifacts and/or creatures. Look at the top three cards of your library, put two of them into your hand and the other into your graveyard. With partner.
1: Yeah, uh, definitely heavy on the sacrifice effect there. Um, he's solid, solid. I don't. know. All right. That's my impression. Uh,
0: do you have a Do you have a feeling about the gold uh, foil special treatments for the commanders, both new and old?
1: Uh, I mean, I think the
0: video that Gavin showed a while ago was pretty good.
1: Um, I think they look pretty nifty. Do you mean like which one of these do I think is going to take
0: off? No, I'm just mean. Do you Do you Are you attracted to this treatment at all? Like, do you feel like you would acquire any for yourself? Yeah, I actually have a Sidar Kondo deck.
1: Um, so I would probably seek that out if I went and got any of them in general. I do, I do like it. Uh, and I'm going to be amenable to kind of weird and alternate frames regardless. So just the fact that you can get kind of a a weird funky treatment is appealing.
0: I guess just my final point on this for now is that it's real tragedy that hardly anybody's going to get to be able to play this in person. There's, there's yeah there's probably going to be a market when GPs finally rejoin tw- late 2021, maybe 2022, who knows what's going to happen next year, but there's got there's got to be a market at GPs when they come back for just play a bunch of drafts you didn- never got to play in person. <laughs> like they should be able to make some pretty good money on that, right?
1: Uh yeah, yeah you would think, right? Um I would expect that A lot of people are going to try and get a hold of this and hold on to it. I don't know how many of them are going to be able to resist the temptation. Um, It is curious. I wonder if we'll see a supply bump on Commander Legends when um, the real rest of the world opens up and suddenly people haul the box or two they bought and stashed out of the closet and then draft
0: it with their friends. Um, the, the pull and tug the pull and tug here is that this is not a limited edition set like Jumpstart this could be available for a full year but because they're having production problems and because COVID may be undercutting their sales potential entirely possible that this is a, yet again going to be a 2020 set that just doesn't have as much product floating around out there as might have been the case otherwise and that, that means 2020 could just be a total gold mine for sealed product if, when things come back to normal. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's hard. It it is hard to say. Uh, I suspect that is likely the case, but I'm not willing to fully gamble on it yet.
0: Yeah. If I wanted to gamble, I'd go deal with sports cards. Um, All right. right. So we can probably wrap things up here. Where can people find you online, Travis? Well, I am, as usual on Twitter, at wizardbumpin,
1: B-U-M-P-I-N, uh, where I talk about all sorts of dumb crap. And I try to talk about magic and I try my best. I share politics and try not to actually talk about it too much because it's just depressing.
0: Awesome. You guys can find me on Twitter at MDG Critic as well as via my occasional articles on MDGPrice.com and my constant uh, support and haunting of the ProTrader Discord, our vibrant community. i also like to remind our listeners to check out the MDGPrice.com ProTrader service so you can get access. For just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year, you can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG Finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering.
1: Well, uh, once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool and nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast, which brings us to the end of episode 243. Um, I've Talking about the Collector's Corner is fun. All sorts of cool stuff in there we'll be able to look at in the coming weeks. Commander's Legends is shaping up to be a banger. Uh, So
0: we'll see you again next week to do it some more. Thank you, Travis. We'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. (laughs) ba da da